Welcome to Spark, Careers in Agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, President at Paulson. Welcome to this episode of Spark. Today I'm at Syngenta's offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm about to speak with Jill Wheeler, Head of Sustainable Productivity in North America for Syngenta. If you're considering communications for your career, this will be a fascinating interview because Jill has worked both on the agency side and the client side of the industry. Jill has a bachelor's degree in journalism from South Dakota State University and an MBA from Aspen University. A little bit later in the interview, you'll also meet Jill's daughter, Anna, a recent graduate who's just starting out in her career. So to begin, Jill, can you tell us about your role at Syngenta? Well, I frequently tell people I personally think I have one of the coolest jobs in the entire company because I manage the Good Growth Plan in North America. And the Good Growth Plan is Syngenta's global sustainability initiative, and it's focused on six commitments about more food, less waste, more biodiversity, less degradation, and more health and less poverty. So my job is to work with our commercial business on a daily basis and see what the North American region can do to contribute to all of these goals. Can you kind of describe a little bit of what your day entails? I know there's never a typical day, but what's your job like? A lot of my job, as I mentioned, is working with our commercial organizations. So, for example, take our soil commitment. One of the conversations I've been having recently is talking to people in our field to figure out how can we get smarter about cover crops? How can we, as well as the growers and the channel partners that we service, become more informed about what works and what are the best practices? Because we know that cover crops have so much to offer in terms of long-term soil health and soil quality. And then on the other side of the coin, I also get involved with some policy issues. So I may find myself uh, most recently at the Soil and Water Conservation Society. I serve on our global policy team. I've been involved with the Clinton Global Initiative, which focuses on how do we partner and collaborate to solve the world's largest problems. And then there are times when I even end up with uh, NGO bodies and talking to the United Nations groups about climate change. So it's very diverse and it is all over the board. And that's probably the other good part about it is that, as you mentioned, no day is ever the same. So do you do a lot of travel? I do. My job is 40 to 50 percent travel. Some of that is international. Um, Certainly, even though my remit is North American, when you start looking at issues of global food security, so much policy is driven out of Washington, D.C., that it's hard to avoid not getting involved in conversations about how do we empower smallholders in Africa to increase their productivity. So let's maybe look back a little bit at how your early life prepared you for the role you're in. Uh, The obvious answer is I grew up on a farm, so I understood how agriculture worked. In fact, I like to tell people that one of the reasons that I am so pro-agriculture technology is one of my first jobs in agriculture was literally walking bean fields with a corn hook, pulling out the volunteer corn. And I kept asking my father, isn't there a herbicide that we can use instead on this? (laughs) A better way. A better way. And he said, no, there really isn't. So, of course, when the whole uh, genetically modified glyphosate-tolerant crop revolution started, I personally was just thrilled thinking about all of the kids that didn't have to do that anymore. (laughs) Um, And actually, uh, that was my first job in agriculture, but then I also had great exposure. I was a journalism major as an undergraduate, and I got a job with the local weekly newspaper. And one of our focus areas, of course, was agriculture. 
agriculture because it's critical to the local community and the local economy. So we would do a twice a year ag tab and it allowed me to go out and interview farmers and channel partners and those in the industry and find out what was happening. And I found that I really enjoyed talking with them. Uh, still do, I think agriculture, the people in agriculture are, are some of the most genuine that you will ever find. And I really appreciate that. Oh, I think that is so true. I, you know, you might pick a career in agriculture, but you will stay in your career because of the people in ag. I'm convinced of that. Exactly. I, I'm happy to say I do not work with any jerks, and I don't know how many people can actually say that <laughs> truthfully. Especially in such a large organization. Yes. You know? oh. In that little path that you had here, were there any surprises along the way? Definitely. Perhaps one of the biggest surprises uh, was just how sophisticated agriculture is. And granted, it has changed a lot since I grew up on the farm. But what I find so interesting now also is how agriculture is the lens through which we view some of today's most compelling issues. And when you start to look at it and break it down, agriculture can directly address poverty. One of the things that Syngenta is focusing on working with smallholders because we did research with the Economist Intelligence Unit and determined that if we invested in agriculture, specifically in emerging markets, we could add another trillion dollars to the global GDP over the course of about 30 years. That's significant. It shows that if you can improve the economies in those rural communities, it truly does lift all boats. And then there's the issue of equality in food security. So for example, how do we make sure that food continues to be affordable that we don't have multiple levels where people based on their economic situation are reduced to eating either substandard, unhealthy food. How do we see that everyone has access to quality, healthy food and yet at an affordable rate? So there are many key issues that we work in now in agriculture and just looking from the outside, you may not realize that. I believe that is true, that, that level of sophistication. Um, so thank you for the, the global picture of what's happening in agriculture. Um, in your own path and experience, um, I'm assuming you ran across people along the way who helped you out or who maybe mentored you. Um, was there any instance or time in your career as you were working your way up to here that um, there was someone who was really profoundly impacting you? I can't think of any one person in particular. I have been very fortunate in working with a lot of very talented people. But I can say there were instances where I ran into organizations that approached the business on a more holistic level. So, for example, in the agency world, and I, I loved being in the agency, but one of my favorite agencies was one that also took more of an overall business approach to it. So not only looking at what is our, our marketing situation here, what communications and messaging do we want to put forward, but let's take a look at the industry overall. Let's take a look at the business overall. What is the financial impact of what we might be proposing? And it, it was a lot of fun, too, when I um, went in and did my MBA because I also got that bigger picture. And I think that's a, a really important thing. And from a mentor standpoint, of course, I was, I was raised by farmers, so that was never a part of my understanding and education. And it was very helpful to find people who had been in the business world and had that overall picture, not only what could you do, but was it economically feasible. Can you kind of describe your education path for us? 
certainly. Uh, my undergraduate, as I noted, was in journalism. I went to South Dakota State University. Okay. Uh, it was interesting at the time. It was cheaper to go outstate South Dakota than in-state at Iowa State. A lot of people asked why I didn't go there. Um, after that, I went to, um, to work for a number of years. I went back then and got my uh, MBA later in life, which I would say for everybody is something to seriously consider because it just means so much more. So really from an educational standpoint, that's been the formal education. Everything else has been what I have learned on the job along the way. So I hate to admit it. Uh, I have done uh, presentations and people come up and they start asking me technical questions, especially when I'm talking about biotechnology and insect traits, which I used to work on. And I have to confess to them, I uh, actually have never even taken any plant agronomy or biology <laughs> classes. I apologize for that. It's all been on the job learning. Well, we are all lifelong learners. I think you have to be. And frankly, I think that's about half of the fun. So did you always know when you were studying journalism back at SDSU, were you able to project ahead for where you would end up? I had no idea. Quite frankly, when we were forced to write down where do we want to be in five years, a question I have never liked because my response to it is, the world could change a fair amount in five years, and how do I know that there's not a new opportunity that doesn't exist now? But when I was forced to put something down on paper, I said I wanted to be a section editor at the Denver Post. Well, clearly that never happened, and I'm okay with that. Um, so there wasn't a, a direct, I absolutely want to do this. I uh, ended up taking uh, my first job. I had a couple of internships in journalism and absolutely loved it. Um, and then I ended up taking a job on the corporate communication side for Cenex, which is how I started getting uh, professionally involved in agriculture. And then I just stayed. Uh, one thing led to another, and you start developing that expertise. And again, the people are so wonderful to work with. I just kept going. So you had the agency path that you were on for a while, and then the path on the, on the Syngenta side or in the agribusiness side. What Maybe you can describe for the audience kind of the difference between the two and why you made the leap over. Yes, between agency and actually the corporate side, uh, the first thing I tell people is no timesheets, <laughs> which is very nice. <laughs> Nothing wrong with timesheets. So I, I have to say, though, I need to put a plug in for agencies and especially for corporations. I think corporations need to hire more people. Um, who have agency experience and to recognize and acknowledge the incredible value of experience that people get in agencies. There are few jobs that are harder, I think, than being in an agency because people have to juggle so many different things. They have to be almost experts on many different things. There's always that time pressure. It creates some incredibly skilled and incredibly talented people to draw from. So uh, I like to think that my agency work was a great background for coming here at Syngenta, and it allowed me to do a lot more than um, than I think people would have expected, simply because there was always this feeling that, oh, once you're an agency, always an agency. I think that is changing, thankfully that's changing, because everyone loses if we don't do that. But it was a great transition to move from the agency to the corporate, and it was at that point, too, that I, as I noted before, got to see that larger picture of how the business all works together. And then at Syngenta, I started out in marketing services, and then I, at that, about that time, I finished my MBA, and I was able to move into product management, and then moved into the sustainability arena after that. One wonderful thing about Syngenta is they allow people to follow their passions, and I had always had a passion for sustainability, environmentalism, um, 
starting from even being a child and just being very concerned when someone left the light burning because you just don't do that. It's not sustainable. So it was a natural progression. And when I saw this particular role open up, I was so excited. And again, Syngenta allows people to pursue those passions. So as you're getting the MBA kind of instrumental and taking on that next step at Syngenta, had you not had your MBA, would you have been able to move into the product? area that you did? Absolutely, that's true. In fact, they told me, had I not had the MBA, that would not have been an option. And again, I would recommend that for, for anyone who is interested in moving into that world. And the other thing, I did mine as an online program. My daughter at the time was younger, and I did not want to be gone a lot. So fortunately, the only time I had to leave the house was for the tests, which were proctored at a local university. But she and I would sit side by side on the couch doing our homework and our <laughs> studying. And my class discussions were in chat rooms, and that worked out just fine for me. And it was a great experience and a great, uh, I learned a lot. One of the things that I learned that always stuck with me was that there are problems that cannot be solved. They can only be managed. And actually that has helped in personal life as well as professional too. So I do highly recommend people finding the mode of teaching and the program that fits with their particular lifestyle. And I would just add to that being open to learning your whole life. Because um, there are, are so many, we're so fortunate, there are so many resources out there now for us as adults that um, I really appreciate the education that I have on an ongoing basis. I wish I would have been as interested in education when I was actually in school, which is what I think a lot of people fall into in their undergrad degrees. It's just trying to navigate to that next point in their life. Yes, I think that's so true, though. We just don't know. And I, I don't think it's fair to ask an 18-year-old, what do you want to do for the rest of the life? Because it may change every few years. Quite a few of us get to be about juniors in school and then like, oh, I think I'll try something else for a while. <laughs> and then, So let's kind of take a look then at this audience that we've got and maybe your advice for them mm -hmm. as they're plotting out their own careers. The biggest thing is to never, ever hesitate to ask for an informational interview. It is one of the best ways to do the networking. It is one of the best ways to find out all of the different positions that are out there. So, for example, uh, I think most professionals will never say no. If they can find a way to plug that in, they will do it. Because we all know that we were in that position one time, too, and we owe it to everybody else coming up and starting their careers to give back. I always say yes to informational interviews, and I think it's a great way, number one, to grow your network, but then to find out what options are out there. And frequently when I'm talking to someone starting out, I like to ask them, what do you love to do? What do you think about? And it makes you want to jump out of bed in the morning because it's so exciting to you. And then we start talking about what are some of the different roles, for example, within Syngenta, where I know people use those skills. And frequently we find that it really broadens their pool of options because, again, how do you know that these positions exist unless you start asking lots and lots of people? So I would encourage young people, do the informational interviews. Make sure that you walk away from every one of them saying, since we've talked, you know what I'm interested in. Can you think of a couple other people that you think I should talk to and just build the network that way? So I think it is, uh, and I'm so proud of the, the new generation. They are far braver than I ever was. <laughs> I agree. And I think they are the ones who are going to be bold enough to go out and to do that. And then the other piece of advice is in salary negotiations. Always make them throw out the number first. <laughs> no one ever told me that. I could have saved a lot of uh, time and effort that I know. That is great advice, especially that the idea of starting to build your network and asking for 
the referral and the introduction because that's really how it does happen. And I would agree with you. I think there are a lot of young people who just really don't even know how to begin with that networking, and I'm sure it seems really intimidating. I was also thinking about your title. That title probably didn't exist a few years ago. When did sustainability become something that you would have a role in at Syngenta? You're absolutely right. From a Syngenta standpoint, it was 2013 when we started the Good Growth Plan. And some of my colleagues have been involved in the sustainability initiative since the very beginnings. And that was probably maybe only 10 years ago when it really started gaining traction. So uh, it is true. It, it's another example, a perfect example of one of those things that changes and evolves that didn't used to exist. Yeah. So how else would you learn that there's even a role there if you don't get out and network? Because I'm, I'm not always... 100% certain that education can keep up with all the roles that are changing out in the business world and, and how to introduce kids to those. I think that's true. And sometimes the educators come and talk to us, which we also love to do. There's nothing like um, some of the NAMA clubs that we have with student chapters, and it's great to spend some time with those kids. And, and another wonderful thing about NAMA, and another piece of advice, work on your public speaking. It's amazing how often you're called on to do that. So public speaking and presentation skills in today's very wired, very information-intensive, very transparent business environment is key. It is, and you, we have opportunities in our careers to build our own personal brand in a way that when I graduated college, there were no opportunities. There was no social media, no way to actually, other than getting published, you know, publishing a book. So there are a lot of opportunities to, to put yourself out there in a really professional way which is a good reminder. Make sure it's in a professional way. Yes. <laughs> what are you most concerned about now in your sphere of influence? And you have a global sphere of influence. Um, what do you think about and what are your concerns today? The thing that keeps me awake now is that we have 98% of the population approximately, especially in North America, that has never been on a farm, doesn't know anyone who owns a farm, isn't exactly sure how their food is produced and where it comes from, and yet this 98% is frequently making decisions that affect the 2% who are still on the farm producing food. And that is an issue that we as an industry do need to take seriously, and at Syngenta we are. It's part of what we are doing with Good Growth Plan, is reaching out to help educate about what is happening on the farm and why issues are as complicated as they are. So that is uh, one of the biggest issues. I would say it is the biggest issue uh, as an industry right now. And it threatens to derail our ability to feed the world. When we look at the 9 billion people by 2050, if we have people making decisions who don't fully understand the food production cycle and they have an impact on the tools and the programs and the processes available to those producing the food, it could be disastrous if it's not handled. I absolutely agree with you. I think we have the luxury in this country of being choosy about our food. And I, I cannot remember who said it, but the best quote I know is that if you have food, you have a lot of problems. If you don't have food, you have one problem. Exactly. And, and frequently it also leads to unrest. It is important for us making policy in developed markets such as North America to remember that even though we are saying our policy is only for North America, other countries look to us. So, for example, take genetic modification, my favorite because I hated walking soybeans again as a child. But if the United States starts limiting GMOs too much and other countries take note of that and do the same, we face some serious issues in being able to address food security. So it really isn't just what's happening in policy in developed markets. It affects everybody.
And it seems like it disproportionately affects the people who are already marginalized. Exactly. So if you could influence one thing in the future, so what would that be? This is not limited to agriculture, but I would encourage somehow, some way that we all develop better discernment skills. I think it is even more important in this era of widely available and not always credible information on the internet, combined with being time-pressed, it sets us up to make some very bad decisions, some hasty decisions based on either incomplete or inaccurate information. I would like to see everyone become a better consumer of information, whether it's something that they see on someone's Facebook page or they read it in the newspaper or they hear it from someone. Question it. Ask, where did it come from? Is there a valid study behind that? And don't just believe it because other people are speaking about it. And this plays out not just in agriculture, but in every realm of our lives. And I fear we are losing some of those discernment skills, and we need to get them back. So more critical thinking, for yes. sure. <laughs> We'd yep. love to see that. I think that's so true. We live in the information age, and we have access to so much information, but we don't necessarily have the right filters set up or, or ability to process it or discern it. And at the very least, always ask, who is the person putting forth this information and why do they want me to believe it? Even if you can ask just that one question, you can start going down the right path. What is the question that no one asks you, but you have a great answer to? This is directed at young women in the business. And it's a couple of time-saving tips about, uh, it sounds a little shallow, but appearance does matter in the business world and information matters. So what I would recommend a couple of things, there's a wonderful book out there called The 100 by Nina Garcia. She used to be on the uh, Fashion Runway program. You're familiar with those types. A wonderful synopsis if you don't know where to start when you're looking at a business wardrobe. She outlines 100 classics that never go out of style that should be in everybody's wardrobe. So if you're like me and there was never anyone to educate you on that, it's a great shortcut and relatively easy easy to manage. Um, the other thing that I recommend, I love gel manicures. And if you get the French chip gel <laughs> manicure, it lasts forever because people don't see it growing out. So if you're concerned about time or money, get one of those. They last forever and they always look good. And then finally, uh, it's always important to read news reports regularly so that you are informed on what's happening and that you always have something to talk about, whether it's a cocktail party or you end up sitting next to someone on an airplane who works for a company that you may want to work for, um, be informed. If nothing else, uh, New York Times has a wonderful app, NYT Now. It's free. It gives you the day's headlines. Very, very short and concise. At least you know what's happening in the world. And if you have time, uh, either Bloomberg, Business Week, or my favorite, The Economist, though The Economist takes a long time to slog <laughs> through, but there is nothing better out there. I think it's always important to be informed and to be able to have intelligent conversations on wider topics, uh, whether it's business or politics or what's happening in marketing. Um, people remember that kind of thing and you come off as well-read and intelligent and it helps you stand apart from the rest of the crowd. Especially when you're beginning your career. You really never know where a conversation is going to take you. You have a long ways to go before you step aside from your career. Um, so we can word this a couple of ways. One would be to say, what's one thing you hope to be remembered for? Or what do you intend to do in the future? What's coming up next for you, Jill? 
Well, I at least I think I at least have a job until 2020 because the Syngenta's <laughs> good growth plan commitments all need to be achieved by 2020. Um, beyond that, we often get the question, what is next for Syngenta after the 2020? And to our conversation earlier, we don't know right now. A lot will depend on where we are when that rolls around. We may determine there is more to be done in certain areas. We may look at there are additional areas that need to be added. Now, maybe we go up to eight commitments. I don't know. So it's a, it's a good question, but we do know that the sustainability issue is not going away. It's going only going to intensify. Um, in terms of, if I look back, what do I want to be remembered for, um, it would have to be competence. <laughs> I think we all want to be competent and good at whatever we do, and I think that is usually within people's, within people's grasp. And if you're, another piece of advice, if you're in a position where it feels like maybe you're right on the edge, ask for help. Uh, I think the nice thing about business that maybe people don't realize is no boss, at least none that I've ever worked for, believe you should be able to do everything perfectly all by yourself. We all have different strengths, and the best part of working on a team is capitalizing on that strength. So ask for help if there's something that you may not be as comfortable doing. Um, people will respect and admire you much more for that. And by focusing on what you do well, Hopefully, you two will be remembered as competent. Let's dig into that a little bit more. I wasn't planning to ask you this, but I'm so curious now. If you were ever in a situation where you felt like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do this, but I know I'm going to be in over my head, but I'm just going to put myself out there anyway. Yes, I would say do it. Uh, I would say the only caution is as you are, if you're talking about a new job, for example, as you're interviewing, be very open and transparent. Uh, the truth always catches up with you if you don't share it, so it's much better to be upfront to begin with. But there is also nothing wrong with stating what you want to learn. And I think that is also admired and respected. If I'm looking at a hire and I know what they're interested in and they tell me, hey, I've never done this, but I really want to learn how, that's great. I will find the resources and the assistance to get them up to speed and get them to that point. There's no shame at all in talking about that. So once again, we have this wonderful young generation that is so bold, and I am just in awe of them. And I think that they will do that, and they will change everything, and I can hardly wait to see it. Oh, I think about where they are starting. When I got out of school, or you know, I walked the fields with Cornhook too, so I know exactly what that was like. That was where I started, where we started, and you think about the platforms that they're going to build from that are so much greater than where we began. Who knows what they'll come up with. Yeah. And they are fearless, and they are not afraid of technology. We, we see that already in the sustainability arena, and it's wonderful. One of the things that we're working on is a very sophisticated farm management software system that allows farmers to track the sustainability of their commodity production, even as they're putting in their standard record keeping, which they have to do from a business perspective. And to no one's surprise, it tends to be the younger farmers who grab onto that software faster, and they are the ones that are so eager. They're also the first ones to ask us, where's the data behind this new product? I want to see the results. I want to see the studies. And it used to be, okay, if you say that's good, yeah, I'll try it. And uh, so perhaps we are already moving down that discernment path because we do get uh, some great questions from some of our younger farmers. There is so much that's available to them. And I know from looking at the research, and I know you have seen it too, is that it isn't that they've given up one medium for consuming information for digital. They've just expanded all of their consumption for media. And I think maybe some of it is driving that ability to really dig in and want to know what that research is before they make a commitment, especially with 
way the ag economy has been. You know, they're, they're wanting to manage their risk and make the best possible decision every year. How exciting. It is. It's a great time to be in ag. My daughter Anna just graduated in May from Loyola University Chicago, and she majored in international business and marketing. And one of the things that I am so proud of, uh, she's going to actually be a Hunger U ambassador this fall. And it was a delight for me when she started to, to get interested in that whole area because I have asked her all along, what about ag as a career? It's a wonderful opportunity for young women. You can write your own ticket. There are so many different things you can do. There are no lines at the restrooms when you're a woman in ag. Why would you not <laughs> want to do this, sweetie? <laughs> Well, I mean, it was always the most mundane thing whenever we were growing up. You know, we'd be at the farm, and you guys were talking about corn. It's like, come on, can't we, like, like, we're already surrounded by this. Why are we still talking about it? Like, we do this every single day. Like, why are you still, like, going about it? And then I went to school in Chicago, and I found out that that isn't exactly a normal way to be brought up. And most people, like, I'd say, like, oh, yeah, I'm going home. We're going to the farm this weekend. And people were like, wait, a real farm? I was like, yeah what else would it be but then realizing and finally seeing that there's such a huge disconnect between what people like believe about agriculture and then what is kind of actually happening in agriculture and I think that there needs to be like a greater more broad understanding in the general population about where their food comes from um, because a lot of people understandably have a lot of opinions about what they put in their body um, without understanding or realizing the full picture and that sort of drove me nuts because I wanted to like tell people like, no, that's not actually what's going on. One way to sort of educate them and like help people and help farmers in general is to actually get into the ag space. So having spent four years around a largely urban population, why do they feel the way they do about food? That's a great question. And I didn't grow up the way that they did. So I don't know that I can really answer that. I'd want to ask someone that did grow up in a more urban environment. I don't want to put words in their mouth. And in talking to them, did you find any particular messages that seemed to get through to them that were more compelling than others to at least get them to start thinking a little differently? When you bring up farmers as individuals instead of corporations, then they're a lot more receptive to it. After you explain what a yield is, um, and you kind of <laughs> like explain how there are certain um, things that will increase yields, which ultimately means more food on a table for a like, farming family, or like them being able like to afford to send kids like their kids to college, and they kind of understand that it's very similar to what their own parents do in jobs, and like their parents do what they can to make more money so they can put food on the table so that they can go to college and all that kind of stuff. So it's when you like bring it down to a more relatable level, because other than that, I think with they get a lot of messages about farming being all about like, really big companies and there's never actually a face to it um, when in reality there are like many individual faces and many individual stories. So that'll be your role for Hunger You, right? yeah. putting a face to yeah. agriculture. you excited about that? I am. I really am. Um, that and I'm hopefully going to be able to see a lot more of the East Coast because I haven't spent a lot of time there. So Yeah, I had a chance to see the Hunger You trailer in D.C. during Ag Day probably a couple of years ago, in the, in the spring in the snow, of course, in D.C., because you never know what the weather's going to be there. But it was great to see those young faces out there just grabbing people off the street and giving them the good word about ag. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a great program. So you should 
we should let people know it's through Farm Journal because mm -hmm. we make a great investment, I think, in trying to educate consumers, and that's a wonderful thing. We all have to step up, right? And yeah. Kind of do our part. And especially, too, since a lot of the audiences that Hunger News can be reaching, it's people that have never had any kind of interaction with agriculture through, like, through no fault of their own. It's just a way to broaden the audience. Any other advice for your daughter in terms of her career in agriculture? I hope she continues to consider it. One <laughs> <laughs> thing has been pretty indoctrinated mm -hmm. over the years, though. Um, and I think you know that agriculture is far more than what you see on the farm field, that it is extensive and it affects so many different aspects of our life. And there are so many different opportunities, especially as agriculture evolves and we get even more technical applications for what we're doing. So I, I would ask you, is there any reason you see not to go into ag as a young woman? Because I'm also interested in a lot of other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> There's the surprise answer. <laughs> And, uh, well, I think, do you mind if we ask you a question? Not at all. Uh, so, Sarah is the president of an agency. Here's your opportunity. You would love to work in agencies. What questions do you have? In terms of agencies hiring, what sets one candidate apart from all of the others? A lot of times it's the little things. In the beginning, you're usually starting out with a resume. And so a resume that's really, really buttoned down and talks about experiences that are even outside of education. And the hunger you want thing will be huge because we've, we've actually had to start asking people, do you eat meat? How do you feel about commercial agriculture? It's not that we don't, you know, we've had vegetarians on staff, and it's okay, but a lot of times that's an indicator that we should explore further. How do you feel about the clients that we serve? Because it's kind of important, and we're passionate about it. Um, other than that, just interview skills um, and presenting yourself a lot of times that, you get about 30 minutes, and really you get about 30 seconds to make that first impression. So sometimes it's just showing up on time and follow through, being persistent, because it's a timing thing. A lot of times just making sure there's actually a spot to be filled and staying in touch consistently over time helps a lot. Um, setting yourself apart really, um, a lot of times it's just in the experience and how you express yourself. So if you're articulate, it helps. Well, and you get that way by practicing it and putting yourself in situations where you're maybe a little uncomfortable and you, you, you pull it off and then you gain confidence and you keep trying and trying. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what kind of a role are you interested in? That's a great question. I'm still figuring it out. I mean, I'm kind of, I like trying a bunch of stuff right now. I currently, I'm interning with an ad agency in Denver and that's been fun because I've gotten to sort of touch all parts of the process. It's a full service agency, so they also like do communications and creative. So I've been able to help out with some campaigns, just doing very small like kind of InDesign like work and then reaching out, um, helping them get meetings for potential clients, running some of the PR for existing clients. So are you are you gravitating towards and you, you had a really good way of putting that. I can't remember what it was Jill, but it was kind of along the lines of what, what, why do you want to get out of bed in the morning? You know, what drives you and makes you excited about? Is it client service? Is it designing something? Is it um, writing proposals? Everybody loves doing that, right? So I mean, I have to say it's actually the people that I work with. They're such a great team of people, and they're all just fun. Um, and I just I smile whenever I walk into the office, and we're always great. Or a dog-friendly office, so you're greeted by, like, three dogs, and then, <laughs> nice. and then greeted by everyone else, and it's just, like, the environment is really important to me, 
Um, I feel like I could probably do pretty much any kind of work, but is if I'm surrounded by people who are passionate about what they're doing and passionate about the people that they work with. We're looking for cultural fits, too. We mm -hmm. want to make sure we get people who are going to step into the group and add to it and, mm -hmm. and not detract from it or, or feel uncomfortable. And when you're in an integrated agency, you're hiring everything from web developers, mm -hmm. and they're they can be a certain personality to client service people, and they definitely are, you know, a, a different personality. And then everybody in between, all the support. So it can be quite a variety of people. We all spend a lot of time at work, and you want to have it be something that puts a smile on your face, just like you said, coming in every day, for sure. Gosh, any other advice for her, or anything else you want that you think would benefit? She maybe just ask you, Anna. So this is a, a geared towards. Young gals that are starting out their careers, what's your advice now that you've graduated college and you're ready to start your first job? It's terrifying. And most of the time you feel like you have no idea what you're doing. And that's okay. You just kind of keep plugging along. Everything works out eventually, which you will get tired of hearing. But it actually does. It's kind of weird. You just have to do, put yourself a little bit outside your comfort zone. Be willing to try new things. Just sometimes you just have to wing it, and that's okay. But, so how did you start out? What was your career path? I don't think I oh, I was a uh, graphic designer. Oh. Oh. <laughs> my first design job at the place I'm at was a manure spreader brochure. Uh -huh. So I thought, you know, this is good. I'm back back in agriculture. I grew up on a farm, but I got an art degree, fine art degree, and I was a lithographer for a while. But graphic design to digital design to director of design and then to my role as president. So. You just really don't ever know. Keep an open mind where you will end up. That's great advice. That's, I like that advice better. <laughs> <laughs> I got a few more decades to figure stuff out than you have. <laughs> That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.